I really should just pray and we should leave probably. Uh, <laughs> we, we love to hear stories because uh, stories connect with us at a, at a soul level. They connect with us at, at something deeper than just uh, knowledge. Uh, stories teach us, they encourage us, and they change us. That's uh, why we love movies so much. It's why we love novels. We, like, we, we love to see the plays, right? Because it's it's story that connects with us at a soul level. So I love to hear Robin's story just about being raised to know God, but choosing to walk away from that, making some bad choices, seeing the heartbreak, feeling the heartbreak of kids and disconnected families and all that, uh, but then seeing God redeem and restore that. And it's not all done. It's not all perfect and pretty now, right? But um, but God's just been working, and stories move us, right? Stories move us emotionally. I don't have emotions, but I think if you have emotions, they move those part of you, and they move us externally, right? They move us uh, to action. Today, I want us to read and start uh, the book of Luke, uh, which is the greatest story that's ever been told, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're going to start uh, and the gospels if you don't know there's there's four of them right Matthew Mark Luke and John and they're all accounts of Jesus's life they're the pinnacle they're the mountaintop of the of biblical revelation right everything from the old testament and from the beginning is leading up to it and everything after it is pointing back to it right it's the pinnacle it's the mountaintop and so it's important that we spend time together understanding the life of Christ uh, I don't know how long this is going to take, but we're going to pause and take some breaks, uh, and we'll talk about other things along the way. But uh, I've titled this series Good News for Everyone, because Luke's gospel is unique, uh, just as any storyteller's story is unique. And Luke's uh, gospel highlights that the good news of Jesus Christ is for everyone. He spends more time talking about women who were disenfranchised, more time talking about the poor, the marginalized, the excluded, the Gentiles. He, he, he's not so concerned with the religious. He's more concerned about the outsider. And so he's telling the story that the good news is for all. And so we're going to see that as we study this book. Today I want to give you two things. One, context, and then two, certainty. Context and then certainty. So let's talk a little bit about context first. Who was Luke? Uh, Luke is, was uh, a Gentile. He was not a Jew. He did not grow up in the Jewish faith and then convert to Christianity. He was probably grew up pagan, right? Uh, he was a doctor and probably don't think white coat and stethoscope. Uh, medicine was very different back then. But Paul calls him in Colossians uh, 4, Luke, the beloved physician. So Luke was probably very smart, very meticulous, uh, good with people. Uh, he was a companion of Paul on his missionary journeys. We know this from Acts, which Luke also writes, starting in about chapter 16. Uh, so he was right there, and he saw a lot of what happened as the early church grew and expanded. Uh, he wrote two books, Luke and Acts, and really they're probably one book. We split them in our Bible. Uh, but he's telling one story from Jesus' birth to the expansion of the church, the coming of the Spirit. Um, fun trivia fact, he wrote more of the New Testament than any other author. We probably all would have guessed Paul, uh, but Luke wrote more than 28% uh, of the New Testament. 
Uh, Luke's gospel, what's unique about it? Well, how is it different than Matthew or Mark or John? Uh, Luke uses about 50% of uh, Mark's gospel. So he quotes, this is what's unique about Luke, he quotes about 50% of Mark's gospel. Uh, and he also adds a lot of stories and parables and stuff that, that no other gospel includes, right? So we, don't, we would not have the story of Zacchaeus, the road to Emmaus, the prodigal son, and many others if it wasn't for Luke and his writing of the gospel. Uh, what else is unique? It's outsider-focused. It's focused on women and, and Jesus' relationship to them, the poor, children, Gentiles. Luke, as an outsider, as a Gentile, of course, he's highlighting that Jesus came to give good news for everybody. It's not just for the religious elite. Luke is a great writer, uh, and he writes the longest book of the New Testament. There's a ton of themes. What are some of them uh, as we study this book? Today, this is one, one we're going to talk about, the truthfulness of the teaching about Jesus. That's, that's Luke's concern today, is that we would have certainty concerning the truthfulness of this. And we're going to see it in a minute. There's a lot of stuff out there about Jesus and who he is and what he said and what he did. And Luke's huge emphasis is on the truthfulness. He's also, uh, one of the major themes is that Jesus comes and he fulfills the Old Testament. He accomplishes everything his, that Jesus, uh, that God had promised would be true of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Jesus comes and he fulfills it. Um, now let's get into why did he write this book. And that's what we're going to look at in verse 1 through 4. So let's look at 1 through 4. And the key word for today is certainty. Key word for today is certainty. Look at verse 1. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for your word. God, and I pray this morning as, as we dive into the book of Luke and we hear the testimony uh, about Jesus and his life, God, I pray that we would have certainty. God, that we would have full belief. God, and many of us in the room have doubts. Many of us in the room have questions and, and we're tempted to, to stray uh, away from the truth of Jesus. God, I pray this morning that through this study, through our time together as a church, God, that you would produce certainty in us, God. That we would believe without a shadow of a doubt in our heart of hearts that Jesus Christ came and he lived and he lived a perfect life. And he died death in our place so that we could have a relationship with God. God, give us certainty about that. God, we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 1. Verse 1, he says, uh, in as much, if you need a $5 word to use this week, there's a good one. In as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished 
among us. He says that many have undertaken to compile this narrative, right? And so Luke is telling us there's, there's a lot of accounts about Jesus' life. Uh, there's a lot of different stories, a lot of different other writings. Probably most of these are oral, but, but some of these are written that he's referencing. And what we know about them today is that some were true and some were not. Right? Some tell the truth about what really happened, but there were many that did not. Right? They, all kinds of things, and we'll get into that. Um, misinformation is as old as time. So don't believe the media that this is some new tactic. Uh, this has been around for a long time. And there was a lot of misinformation out about Jesus. There was a lot of stories, a lot of books, a lot of paper and time spent talking about the life of Jesus. If you remember a few years ago, Dan Brown wrote a book and then it turned into a movie, The Da Vinci Code. Anybody remember this? Raise a hand. Some, some people. Okay. And in, in, in the Da Vinci Code, what Dan Brown does is he takes some, some uh, words and sentences from some of these other accounts, these other gospels about Jesus' life. And he creates this whole massive story about how all this stuff, right? That Jesus and Mary were married and they had this kid and all, all this stuff, right? And, and there, there's all these other kinds of gospels. The gospel of Philip, the gospel of Thomas, these Gnostic gospels. And this... For some people, when they hear this, they go, oh, no, oh, maybe what we believe is not really true, right? Maybe there's other stuff, and maybe the church suppressed all these other accounts because they didn't want us to know the truth, right? But the truth is this. The church did not suppress these. These did not spread. Why? Because they were not true, right? Because eyewitnesses were living that walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus. They knew the truth. And so these gospels, these accounts of Jesus' life did not spread in the early church. Why? Because they weren't true. People weren't trying to read nonfiction. No, they wanted to know who Jesus was. They're full of, and you can go read them today, they're full of all kinds of fanciful stories. Would make great bestsellers today, okay? But they're not true. There's all kinds of inconsistencies, and you read them and you can tell this is not history. This is made up. But Luke says, he tells us, many have undertaken to do this. And he's telling us that I've looked into these. And he's compiling a narrative. So Luke, we know, is written after the Gospel of Mark because Luke quotes about 50% of Mark in his, uh, in his Gospel. And he adds other things. He references from other works. He talks to eyewitnesses. He, he gathers the stories, the oral traditions that have been passed down, and he is compiling a history. He tells us that. He's not compiling the new best. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen at some point today. He's not compiling the new salacious uh, article about the crazy thing you never heard about Jesus. No, he tells us, I'm telling you the history. He's compiling a narrative. Narrative is a story, but that, sometimes we hear that word and we think made up, right? Stories we tell our kids. No, narrative is the history. He's compiling the history, the truth. And he's recording these in such a way that he's telling the story of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Now, 
We've been in the book of Ephesians, and Ephesians is a letter, and it's full of propositional truth and principles to apply, and it, 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 it connects with our Christian life really closely. But narrative is very different, and so we're going to have to read narrative a little bit different as we go through this. But he says, I'm, I'm compiling a narrative of what was accomplished. This word is very important because Luke is saying that Jesus' life has accomplished something. Right? It has realized, it has fulfilled something. What he came was not just this new you know, exciting, dynamic teacher on the block with some new ideas. No, his life accomplished something. If the Old Testament had one word to summarize it, it would be the word promise. God is promising all kinds of things. And if the New Testament had a word, it would be fulfillment. And that's the, the day that we live in. We live in the fulfillment of all that God has promised. And so God had promised this Messiah who was to come. And now it has been accomplished. And Luke says that it was accomplished among us. This is not the video game if you're below the age of 25. Everyone else is like, what is that? No. This was accomplished among us. Luke is writing to people who were eyewitnesses, who were there when it happened, who heard it with their own ears. Everything he's writing, he's saying, was done in public with many witnesses. He's not writing the behind-the-scenes, secret knowledge thriller uh, to, to get headlines or anything, right? He, he says this in Acts 26, uh, or Paul does, if you, if you don't have to flip there, but Acts 26, 26, Paul is standing on trial before the king, and he tells the king, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I'm persuaded that none of these things escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Paul's saying to the king, you know that this is true. This was all done in public. This was all seen. Everybody knows that this is the truth, right? And so I love, I love this because you think about the accountability. If I wrote a history of our church right now and I put it out to you and I, and I filled it with all kinds of crazy stories, some of you would come back and go, well, that's not true. Ted Ivey would fact check me all over the place, things that were wrong. And Sean Willis, who's been around for a long, you know, there's, there's people that have been here and been a part of our church. Luke is not writing something crazy. Why? Because he's writing to those who were there. He's writing to those who saw it. And so all he's doing is putting down the facts. Look at verse 2. He says, just as those who from the beginning from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So what he's saying is this, is I'm doing the same thing that this group of people did to us. He calls them eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. And this is, this is one group of people and their task. And this was, this was very important in their culture. And this was a treasured position in their culture because they were so oral. I can't, I can't remember anything unless I write it down. My mind doesn't work like that anymore. But in their day when so little was written down, they were very good at oral and remembering stories and telling stories and passing them on. And so he's referencing a group of people that are his sources of information. Those who saw it happen. Think about it. They're eyewitnesses. They saw it with their own eyes. They heard it with their own ears. Like he talked to Zacchaeus. 
He talked to Mary. He talked to uh, the Samaritan on the, no, that's not a true story, never mind. Uh, he talked to the sources, the people that were really there, right? And he's saying that I have compiled them based on these eyewitness accounts. Now Luke starts this saying about eyewitnesses, how does he start the book of Acts? You will therefore go and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So witness is such an important a phrase in the book of Luke because witnesses just tell the truth about what happened. They just report the facts. I was there. I saw Jesus do this. I saw this happen. She said this, right? This is not made up story. No, this is history. Look at verse three. Luke says, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Luke's saying, listen, I'm not an eyewitness. I wasn't there. I, I didn't experience much of this in the book of Luke. But he's saying, I've been following it. I've, I've followed it closely. And that carries the idea that he's investigated this. He's gone to the eyewitnesses. He's gone to the people that were there. He's, he's heard their stories. He's, he's asked questions. He's, he's all, all this sort of investigation. And he's carefully considered it all. And now he's saying, what is he doing? He is writing an orderly account. Orderly doesn't just mean, um, like, I'm writing it in chronological order. That's not exactly what he means. He means logical orderliness. So Luke's not saying everything happened in necessarily this order. It does go from birth to death and all that sort of stuff. But he is writing it in such a way, and what he means is, is that it's clear. Is that he, what he means is that it, it makes sense. I'm writing this in an orderly way. This is what good teachers and good preachers do. Randy, I can't find you in the crowd over here. But good preachers, what do they do? They speak in a clear way that can be understood. They speak in an ordered way, not convoluted and complicated so that it's above everybody's heads. No, good teachers and good writers speak in a way that makes sense. And that's what Luke is trying to do. He's trying to do it for somebody, though. We've, we've kind of skipped over this a little bit to this point. Who is he writing this to? It's not exactly to us. We get to read it, and it's for us in God's providence. But he says it's for most excellent Theophilus. Now, many have tried to figure out who this Theophilus is. We know, based on his title, Most Excellent, that he's somebody important. He's somebody probably with a little bit of wealth, a little bit of prestige, a little bit of position. Uh, maybe he's, a, he's probably a Roman. But really, we don't know anything beyond this. He says... I'm writing this orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. We can infer some things about Theophilus, though. Theophilus had questions. Theophilus didn't have an orderly account. Theophilus uh, didn't fully understand. He, he may have believed in God, but he had not been told the whole story. He had bits and pieces. And look at verse 4. This is why Paul, I'm sorry. I'm going to say that a hundred times in this series. This is why Luke writes this, verse 4, look, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. 
that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Certainty is a word that means uh, sure or firm. It means um, like security from enemies or security from danger. And so what, what he's saying is, I'm writing this down, the facts and the truth and the, the reality, so that you have a sure, rock-solid belief, right? So that you know for certain that this is true and that Jesus really did live. He really did do these miracles. He really did die on the cross. He really did rise from the dead. And there's all these witnesses to prove it. And he's saying, I'm writing so you have certainty concerning this. Theophilus obviously had been taught something about Jesus. He knows something. He has some knowledge. And that's, that's true for us today, right? we got people in here with with big brains and know it all, and we got people that just have, have come on this journey early, right? But Theophilus had heard bits and pieces of the story. Maybe it had been incomplete. Maybe it had been unclear. Maybe he didn't know the story about the resurrection. Maybe he didn't know about fill in the blank. And so Luke is going to write this to put the whole story together for him. And Luke fully believes that through this, he can have certainty, security, like a, a, a rock-solid belief. And that's why we're going to study this book together. The reality is in this morning, uh, many of us have doubts. I, I, it, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and out yourself this morning, but many of us have questions. Is this really true? Is this really right? Did God really say that? <laughs> we have those questions. And if you were in life group this morning, you know who asked, who probes us with that question, did God really say? It's the enemy. But we got questions. And we have doubts. And there's times we go, uh, miracles? Uh, resurrection? Uh, is he really the, the son of God, right? That, that doesn't... That doesn't fit in our modern Western context where, where everything is rational and scientific and all this sorts of stuff. And so doubt can easily creep in, creep in. My desire, and I think it's a biblical desire because Luke writes it here, is that we would have certainty. That doesn't mean we'll never have questions. It doesn't mean that we'll never have doubts. It doesn't mean that we'll never wrestle with hard things. But my desire in us studying the book of Luke is that we would have certainty that Jesus Christ really is who he says he is. Um, let me tell you a story. I, I grew up in church, and there's probably not been a season longer than like a month that I've not been in church my whole life, like, you know, negative nine months to today. Uh, was raised in church, raised by a preacher, right? So sat on the front row, got all the stairs, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, I went to A&M, was in a Christian bubble, um, just fully surrounded by the church and by believers. And I, I never went through a season of, of questioning or doubting, really. I just, I think I just took it in. This is, it's just what I, it's my world, it's what I believe, right? Because that's what my family believes, that's what my dad believes. And when I graduated college, I went out to West Texas, uh, and I worked for Chevron for a few years. And I was in a field, uh, an oil field, for the first six months. 
uh, Dollar Hyde Field near Jowl, New Mexico. Anybody been to Jowl, New Mexico? It's a good diner there. Anyway, that's the only thing that's there. And uh, I was in this field for about six months, and I would ride with the pumpers in the trucks that went around and fixed wells and did all sorts of stuff. And uh, if you know anything about West Texas oil field and eastern New Mexico oil field, it's a rough place, right? Good guys, great guys, rough crowd, okay? Not going to tell stories of some of the things I saw. Um, one day we're on our lunch break in the building, and we're sitting talking to some of the guys, and they, you know, just talking about life, whatever. And somehow I, I reference God, reference the Bible, or church, or going to church, or something. And this guy, Bert, takes interest. And he's like, he's asking questions, and, and, and so I reference something from the Bible, and he's like, okay, wait, what's the Bible? And he's asking questions. And so I go to my truck, and I get my physical Bible, not this one, but uh, an old one, and I bring it back in the room, and uh, what, I, don't, I, I can't even remember what exactly we were doing, but I, I read some verse or showed it to him, and he said, can I hold that? I'm thinking, that's kind of weird. That's a weird question to ask somebody. You can't ask about people's babies. You can't say, I, I want to hold that. No, but I've got this Bible, and he's like, can I hold that? And I'm like, sure, yeah. So I hand it to Bert, and there's a conversation going on. And I look at Bert, and his jaw has dropped to the floor. And he's, he's got this look of fear on him. And, and it comes back to Bert, and I, Bert, what's, what's going on? What are you thinking? He's like, I've never held one of these. I'm in West Texas. I'm in eastern New Mexico, and I've got a guy, Bert, who's never held a Bible before in his life. Right? I'm blown away by this sweet little preacher's kid that I was, right? You never held a Bible? You never did Bible drill? <laughs> like, he's, he's afraid this is gonna, God's going to strike him dead because he's touching it, right? And I'm around these guys for six months. And it was really easy to listen to what they had to say and to their questions. It would have been really easy for me to have doubts. And there were moments where it's like, oh, is this real? This is this obviously nothing to Bert. But praise God for what Luke says. That you can have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. It doesn't mean that I never had questions. It doesn't mean that you'll never have questions. It doesn't mean that as we read this, there's not things that are hard to understand. There's not things that are difficult to fit in our theology and our view of God. It doesn't mean that, that we never struggle or walk away, but it does mean that reading the gospel is meant to produce a rock-solid belief that Jesus Christ lived as a human being, and he died the death that we deserved, and he rose again, and hundreds of people saw it. This is not fanciful story. This is not elaborate, uh, you know, period. What, is the, what am I thinking? The, 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 the magazines, that, that TMZ, that sort of stuff. This is not crazy, out there, wild stories about Jesus. This is the truth that Jesus lived, and he proved himself to be the Christ, and he died in our place, and he rose again so that we can have hope. This is, we have good reason to believe this, and Luke is writing that so that we would be certain. So that's my prayer as we start this, that we would have certainty that there's good news for everyone in God's word. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the truth of it. 
God, I thank you that we have good reason to believe that this is true. God, I thank you that men like Luke went to such great effort to compile this so that we could know the truth about Jesus, about sin, about hope, about eternity, God. God, I pray that as you give us certainty, as you give us belief in this, God, I pray that it would overflow into telling others about this, God. That our confidence in your word would lead us to proclaim that word to other people. So God, be with us as we study this, this this year, God, and be with us as we go out this week, God. God, we will face temptation. We will face uh, doubts and struggles this week, God. May we plant our feet firmly on your word. May it give us boldness, God. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.